0: You're listening to the Law Careers Net podcast, a monthly podcast designed to give you everything you need to know about becoming a lawyer. Hello and welcome back to the Law Careers Net podcast, sponsored by the University of Law. Have you heard the term neurodiversity? Do you know what it means? Where does it fit in with diversity and inclusion in a wider context? How are attitudes in the legal profession changing towards neurodivergent aspiring lawyers? In this episode, we speak to Phil Steventon from The Neurodivergent Lawyer. Phil gives a really interesting insight into neurodiversity, its definition, his experiences, how it might impact people's journey to becoming a lawyer. And it also opens up questions about diversity and equality in the legal profession what law firms, recruiters, and the profession needs to do to ensure that all types of people can bring their true selves and their unique skill sets and experiences into a legal career, which, of course, would make law firms and businesses better places to work. So keep listening for information on the neurodiversity movement, benefits and advantages of being neurodivergent, and much more.
1: Uh, I'm Phil Stevenson, and I'm an experienced paralegal and an aspiring lawyer qualifying via the Silex route. Uh, I've described myself as millennial, working class, uh, first-generation, autistic aspiring lawyer. I was the first in my family to study law, the first to go to a bricks and mortar university, and the first to study abroad. Uh, I graduated undergrad from Nottingham Trench University in 2012 with my LLB degree, and I completed the LPC part-time at De Montfort University in 2019. Uh, over the course of my work in life, uh, it feels like I've done a lot at a lot of places, really. I've worked at a national charity supporting victims of witnesses of crime, private client training course provider assisting with uh, creating and maintaining courses for practitioners, a local authority preparing equal pay settlement agreements for former employees, a FTSE 100 telecoms operator negotiating way leave agreements for installing cables, boxes, all of that good stuff. I spent some time in private practice just before COVID hit. Um, I was assisting in residential debt recovery. COVID hit, sadly, I was made redundant, but during that period, I was still able to keep up with a lot of virtual schemes, internships, programs, just everything that was going on. And following that, I worked remotely for a young private practice firm in the Southeast, assisting with a number of corporate and commercial transactions, all of which whilst compiling my work-based learning portfolio, ready to qualify, fingers crossed, in mid-2023. And outside of my day job, I create written blogs and video content as the neurodivergent lawyer. Uh, Through my brand, I'm able to share my authentic experiences of being an autistic aspiring lawyer, as well as my unique perspectives and views. So I write about things like working and studying as a neurodivergent, uh, the value of continuing virtual schemes post lockdowns, different views and perspectives of the profession, everyday ableism, you know. Fun stuff, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's also been a great chance for me to build my own brand and establish myself as a unique and interesting human in the profession, and to continue one of my goals of furthering and promoting greater acceptance, understanding, and much more serious inclusion of neurodivergent and autistic lawyers at all stages, as well as you know, greater community cohesion for everybody. And most recently, I've been invited to be a trustee and the treasurer of a new charity, uh, we're working to empower autistic students and graduates in work and in applications. We're looking to tackle the autism employment gap and engage wider society and encourage more insights into authentic autistic experiences of young adults early in their working lives.
0: Um, we've worked together before, Law Krisna and, and, and the Neurodivergent Lawyer, and you've written a fantastic article um, for us, which I will definitely link in the podcast description. So it's great to have you here today talking about your experiences and kind of be working on, on this together again. So I think perhaps we could start by summarising this phrase neurodiversity. So what does the term neurodiversity actually mean?
1: Yeah, so now the human brain has many, many forms of natural neurocognitive variation, so the term neurodiversity is an umbrella term that quickly identifies those differences as a result of, you know, a clinically diagnosed neurodevelopmental divergence, things like autism, ADHD, and the dysdys abilities they are natural variations in the ability to process information around us and to perceive and interpret the world around us whether it's easier or more difficult but also in such a way that it's seen as a source of strength uh, creativity and empowerment due to these unique experiences and abilities the term itself tends to cover what's called life divergences which are variations that are with us at birth and for the rest of our life regardless of when we discover them or receive the diagnosis and they differ from like threshold divergences which can occur later on in our lifetime, things like dementia or brain injuries, and impact divergences, which occur as a result of life events. So things like PTSD, depression, or bereavement. The Australian sociologist Judy Singer first coined the term in the late 1990s, and she defined it as the socio-political movement for advancing recognition, positive re-evaluation, and inclusion of neurominorities. And this is still the case today, and it was widely heralded as the neurological awakening of the social model of disability. All of these forms of neurological development are equally valid, and the conditions are multifaceted with their own unique strengths and challenges. But Because ideal neurocognitive function is, quote, socially constructed, like many other forms of diversity, it means that there are power inequalities between neurodivergent people and neurotypical people. Uh, And the variations can mean functioning in the society that we live in right now is impaired. And so technically they're classed as disabilities, but a lot of us don't really identify as disabled because that word doesn't really do enough to adequately describe our unique abilities and experiences in enough detail to really understand us. And the neurodiverse community, me included, we're working hard to put much more focus on our individual strengths and abilities instead of being seen solely from a clinical viewpoint. But, you know, there is a big difference between celebrating our strengths, which we should all do, and saying that it's not disabling to live as a neurodivergent in today's world. Uh, We all have our own unique experiences, but the one commonality is that we will process retain interpret and learn information differently and interact and think differently and as the saying goes if you've met one then you've met one
0: thank you that's a really great summary um, of neurodiversity and I think we've spoken about diversity and inclusion on this podcast before and it's a big push in the legal profession right now and neurodiversity yeah. is very much a part of that but it's often a part that I think is perhaps left aside out of the the normal diversity and inclusion um, kind of conversations sometimes um yeah, so Yeah, so I'd be interested in hearing how you think the attitudes towards neurodiversity have changed over recent years and perhaps how these attitudes can affect somebody's journey to becoming a lawyer.
1: Yeah, well, we know that the profession has historically attracted, you know, a certain type of person, hasn't it? So like high achiever, well-spoken, quick thinking, very sociable, very, very industrious, but not all neurodivergent workers will tick every single one of these boxes. You know, there are some things that we find difficult that without the right support and training it could affect our journey to becoming a lawyer or make it very, very difficult. And law firms and businesses will be asking the question, why should we hire someone who doesn't tick every single box? Especially given that firms are businesses and their goal is always to turn a profit and are always on the lookout for for hires that will continue to bring the business financial success. It does seem like there's a real sense of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Which is the same as saying, we have always done it this way. You know, the most dangerous phrase, and mentality in business, which happily is becoming more and more obsolete now, uh, now that more and more employers are recognizing the benefits that neurodivergent workers can bring to their business. These attitudes can stifle firms from taking advantage of these unique skills and abilities that neurodivergent workers can bring, along with meaningful inclusion of these talented workers, these talented lawyers, who are working so, so hard to achieve their goals, enjoy their work, and become the best version of themselves, which ultimately is what every employer wants, right? And also, I don't think everywhere really gives alternative routes to qualification like Silex or equivalent means as much pomp and circumstance as the training contract. And yet the application process for training contracts can be inaccessible for some of us due to some of our challenges like regulating focus and recognising intentions behind questions. So do I think these attitudes can affect a neurodivergent person's journey to becoming a lawyer? I don't think they do us any favours. You know, there is still stigma. Due to these divergences being invisible and discrimination does still exist. Now, I've experienced it myself, so I know exactly how upsetting it is. Trust me. Happily, however, attitudes have changed and are continuing to change for the better. And this is due to a great deal of further education and understanding of our experiences by so many members of the profession, employers and employees alike, and the work of so many advocates and allies, too. You know, I'd like to think of my, myself as one of them. <laughs> And thanks to those of us members, advocates and allies of the neurodiversity movement, we've seen many more firms actively seeking out neurodivergent lawyers and recognizing our abilities and at least wanting to be more inclusive of us, which is fantastic. But real actions are always gonna speak much louder than words ever will, as we know. So I do look forward to seeing more be done and learning exactly what employers are doing and what they will be doing moving forward. And no doubt, advocates like me and my peers We'll be happy to have these discussions and conversations with employers and other professionals to see where we can help you know the phrase goes nothing about us without us you know you can't include us without including us in your inclusion process and there's always going to be more that can be done advocacy and allyship are journeys with no end date at all
0: that's a great phrase uh, i love that and i think with all of these things you know having a conversation about it is, is such an important you know part of it and involving people who are directly affected in that conversation but as you said actions speak louder than words as well so having conversations just just the beginning of it and hopefully this podcast serves as a beginning and a kind of a part of that movement as well but um, it it would be really great to see law firms kind of embracing this and actually putting in concrete steps and plans of action to get um, more neurodivergent people and aspiring lawyers feeling watered and encouraged and uh, throughout the recruitment process which we will come back to (laughs) shortly. Perhaps we could also touch, um, I think it's important to come to you and and your experiences. So what are your experiences as a neurodivergent lawyer, an aspiring lawyer?
1: I think the easiest way to answer that question is uh, never a dull moment. Uh, Well, I got my diagnosis when I was quite young, about six years old or so. Um, It came after staff in my nursery school described me to my parents as, quote, highly intelligent, but difficult to handle. Uh, (laughs) Take it out what you will. (laughs) Uh, So a diagnostic assessment was carried out when I was in primary school, and the result came back shortly after. So pretty much all of my experiences in life, education and work are through my autistic lens. It hasn't always been something that I've either fully embraced or fully accepted, partly due to not really understanding it when I was young. But also, I guess I can look back on it and recognise some internalised ableism in there, in that I didn't want to be autistic and I just wanted to be, quote, normal. Particularly when I was a teenager in secondary school and in my early twenties when I was just starting off in my career. And, you know, others around me didn't really recognize that it's hard to live as an autistic. I mean, I've had my ups and I've had my downs. Some are because of me, some are as a result of places I've been and the people I've worked with, whether they're positive or negative. I've had doors closed because of who I am and doors open up to me because of who I am as well. But some of the worst experiences I've had include ableist comments about me or to me on, you know, my shop floor, things like. He special needs, he's untouchable, or autism means you're a little four-letter word. I remember being dismissed after four months of one job because of not being on the same level as my colleagues who had been in the role for at least a year longer than me and were neurotypical as well. And actually during COVID unemployment, a recruiter I was working with said I should remove any mention of disability and autism from my CV because employers will see it as a reason not to employ me, basically telling me to put my mask back on. Uh, and yeah, I, I say this not to fetishize a struggle, but it's just to point out that discrimination and ignorance does exist and that these are probably some of the worst I've experienced. But even with this in mind, I remind myself every day of the positive experiences that I've had. So since 2020, which was when I came forward to the online legal community as autistic, when I started creating my own original content, building my brand, I've seen a really, really wholesome network of students and graduates, junior lawyers, senior lawyers, business owners, everybody just grow around me and they've accepted me, they've included me and come to me for advice as well, which is so lovely. I've been invited to speaking gigs at law firms, panel events for university societies and virtual groups. I've been invited to write for other blogs and record for other podcasts. And it it's always really, really heartwarming that there are those out there who think so highly of me that they really do genuinely want to hear from me. I love it. And all of this because I came forward and was true about who I am. So, you know, when people say to you, be yourself, they really do genuinely mean it. You know, you are much more interesting and unique than you probably give yourself credit for.
0: And now a short message from our podcast sponsor, the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many courses to help students work and study at the same time. Find out more about studying at the University of Law with the link in the podcast description. Thank you. That's so great. Such a great kind of positive way to end. And I love that phrase, you're more interesting and unique than you probably give yourself credit for. So, you know, talking about being interesting and unique, and you touched touched on this at the beginning, you know, there are so many benefits and advantages to being neurodivergent. And I love the idea of reframing uh, this to be like, hey, being my true self, I can bring all these extra things that perhaps neurotypical people might not have. So can we talk about some of these benefits and advantages of being neurodivergent?
1: yeah there there are plenty of benefits that we as neurodivergent professionals can bring to our employer and to our colleagues and you only have to look at our skills and abilities and make the connection that way so i mean let's take me for example let's have a look at some of mine i've got an analytical mind i'm quite good when it comes to spotting patterns i'm good with attention to detail when i get rolling this means that i can develop really good in-depth knowledge and exper- and expertise i can spot errors or improvements that others may miss i'm strict when it comes to rules that means i'm strong on compliance I'm creative in my problem solving and can approach tasks in a different way so that means novel solutions with less time spent on back and forth emails and meetings i don't judge because i know how it feels to be an outsider or to not feel like i belong so i can contribute to an inclusive workplace and an inclusive employer and brand i feel like i've got quite high emotional intelligence as well so i can empathize well with clients who come to me and who may be struggling maybe they're a bereaved relative in a private client matter or a high street business owner who's having to consider a CVA due to the effects of COVID and no customers coming in. I'm very resilient uh, because I've had to overcome so many challenges in work and life, but I don't let that phase me as I continue working towards my goals. And I've got such a high work ethic as well. And that's instilled in me because I, I know I have to work twice as hard as my colleagues and peers to be on their same level. But the upside is, I work hard all the time, all day, every day. So fantastic. And then there are more you know, general benefits that neurodivergent workers can bring their workplace, things like, you know, enhanced creativity, enhanced performance. Diverse thinking means fewer meetings are needed, smarter decisions are reached quicker. And generally speaking, a business with a high degree of knowledge-based diversity tends to achieve a much greater team performance. But of course, every individual will vary in their strengths and challenges. You know, like we say, if you've met one, you've met one. But at the same time, it's pointless for employers to want to take advantage of our strengths and skills without also supporting our challenges. So for instance, for me, information processing, I can struggle with that sometimes, particularly when it's new information or quite abstract or jargony or technical. I can sometimes struggle with interpreting nonverbal language. I might take a little bit longer to warm up in social situations, or I might misinterpret a question or maybe not recognize the intention behind it. For others, their challenges can include you know, recognizing words and text and numbers, fine motor coordination, regulating attention, and general information processing again. And there is an Equality Act obligation to put those reasonable adjustments in place for disabled employees, either to change a process or a physical feature or to provide extra aids so as to support them in the workplace. But much more than that, it's quite simply the right thing to do for the employee who genuinely wants to work for the employer to help them feel recognised and validated and just included for who they are.
0: Great. Um, we actually did a whole separate podcast episode about disabilities in the legal profession, where we actually touched on reasonable adjustments. Um so do go back and listen to that episode if, if you want to kind of find out more about that. But the point is if you are confident in being who you are in the application form and and you disclose um whether you know whether you have a disability or whether you're neurodivergent, it's only when you do that, that the firms will be able to help you. Perhaps law firms and employers have a way to go in terms of being open and um, accessible for, for people to apply and to know perhaps what even reasonable adjustments there might be in the first place, which is something we talked about in this previous episode. But if you're able to disclose who you are on your application form that will enable firms to kind of provide those regional adjustments and really help you to succeed and do the best that you can. Um, but we're coming on to that because we want to I want to ask you um about your advice to recruiters and the you know the legal graduate recruitment systems and the processes, you know how can they support people who work in the industry? how can they support neurodiverse candidates through recruitment?
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I remember I wrote an entry for Elsie and says not, on this topic not too long ago. so yeah you know, maybe something else to link in this as well. Okay, so recruiters. The big point to think about here is those Section 20 Equality Act obligations uh, to put reasonable adjustments in place for disabled and neurodivergent candidates. And making this clear right at the very start of the recruitment journey, which is normally the online application, it invites the candidate to make the request for adjustments to the process or to the interview in order to remove obstacles to showing you their best self. Now, it's not special treatment. It's not making the process easier. It's simply removing a barrier in the person's way to showing you their best self. And when you think about it, you invite a candidate to interview because you want to learn more about the person, their expertise, their ambitions, if they're a good fit for you. So it makes sense to make the interview as accessible as possible for a neurodivergent candidate. And in turn, you can make it more accessible for everyone to be able to show you their best because it may very well be that this adjustment can give neurotypical candidates a more accessible shot of showing you their best self. The choice will still lie with the employer, but you can be even more satisfied that you have more candidates showing the best they can be due to removing those obstacles. I mean, some of the things that could help might be invite the candidate into the office pre-interview to familiarize themselves with the office in the meeting room. Instead of a panel interview, have a roundtable discussion, allow for some extra time with any assessments and be a bit flexible with body language as well. I mean, they may be a fantastic candidate and a brilliant fit for you. So are you really going to deny them just because they can't hold eye contact for, for all that long? But whatever it is you do to support the candidate, it's important to involve them at every stage. They will know much more about their divergence than you because they live their lives as a neurodivergent. We are best placed to tell you about what we find difficult and what we feel works for us. And again, what works for one may not work for another. So it's important you take on board what each candidate says. I don't think the support should be just for incoming candidates too, because there may be those who receive a diagnosis later in life who may very well be working for you. Uh, Regardless of when an employee in your hire receives a diagnosis, they should always feel free and able to make such disclosure should they want to and be able to receive support throughout their work in life there. I mean, perhaps this employee might be applying for a promotion too. So that way they're a candidate again. But at the same time, a neurodivergent candidate might not need any adjustments, and that's a totally valid outcome. But asking if they do will show the candidate that the firm is being serious about being neuroinclusive, and they want to have that discussion with the candidate whether any adjustments are needed or not. And if a neurodivergent candidate is successful and they're taken on, here's something to bear in mind. Employees who are able to be unapologetically themselves and take their mask off will be able to give their employer all of their efforts at work. They'll be more willing to invest in the employer and go that extra mile. So it's up to everybody to play their part in creating that environment, that culture where everyone can feel safe and encouraged to bring their whole self to work.
0: So finally, what would be your advice to neurodiverse aspiring lawyers to show your best selves and and launch their careers and and also in that I guess is is also finding the the right firm and the right fit for you?
1: Right. So neurodivergent aspiring lawyers. Now, I, this won't be specific in terms of exactly what firm is right for you, because ultimately that's for you to work out for yourself. But it's still important to do things for yourself personally and professionally. And some of the things you might be able to work on right now might be leadership skills, because clients are going to expect us to take the lead on their matter. You can work on your social media presence as well, given that you know we're all using it now, including clients. Clients are using social media as well. And from your social media presence will come your personal brand as well, which is how you promote yourself, your story, your skills and your personality. That will be how you can attract a lot of new clients. I mean, these are things you can work on right now. And there are plenty of people that you can follow on LinkedIn, Instagram, all, all kinds of social media to get inspiration from. Like you. Like me, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to job searching, um, have a look deeper at web pages and careers portals of the firms that you want to apply to. So have a look at the EDI sections in there see what the firm you're looking to apply to says around disability and see if there's anything around neurodiversity too. That way, that'll give you a better idea as to how seriously that employer takes neurodiversity in their workplace. But also remember that lots of firms like to say lots of things. So make sure you're shown what a firm is doing rather than just be told. Because we're expected to do the same when we're preparing for interviews. So I feel an employer should do the same for you if they're truly serious about it. But there are many autistic and neurodivergent candidates who are unemployed or underemployed. Like there is an autism employment gap. So compared to 80% of working age non-disabled people who are in some form of paid work, there's only around 22% of working age autistic people who are in some form of paid work. But that has far less to do with your ability and work ethic than it does employers recognizing your abilities, your drive, your determination, intelligence, ambition, all of the strengths and abilities that you know you have and some of the ones that we may have touched upon earlier as well. So here's something that, whilst it can help employers learn what your strengths are, I feel it's important for you to do this for yourself as well, and that is create a brag list. Fill it with awesome things about you, what you can do, and what you have done, Keep adding to it and keep referring back to it to remind yourself of exactly how awesome you are. And actually, you know what? After you've listened to this podcast, why don't you share your brag list on your social media platforms like LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever? Tag me in it. I'll like it. I'll comment on it. And let's see if we can't make this a trend for all of us. Maybe use the hashtag my brag list. Let's let's see if we can't make this a thing, right?
0: Tag Law Careers Net too. That's a great idea.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And finally, don't let any failures to navigate a world or a qualification path that isn't meant for you deter you from achieving your goals, being the best version of yourself and being able to do it in the best way for you. And in the same breath, don't measure your value based on how inconvenient others think you are or what a largely neurotypical workplace feels what you need to be at your best is, particularly if this has come as a result of narrow mindedness or ignorance from persons who don't know exactly how brilliant you are. I mean, yes, there will likely be some things that you just can't do, but the best person who can tell you what you can or can't do is you. You can't be someone you're not, can you? And everybody fails at who they are, quote, supposed to be. But the real measure of a person, I believe, is how well you succeed at being who you are, your true self. So be proud of the unique and interesting individual that you are and the person you're going to become for yourself. And bet on yourself, your abilities, your drive, your work ethic, everything that makes you you and everything that makes you awesome. And when you do, you'll never fail yourself.
0: It was so great to speak to Phil, and I really want to thank him again for speaking so honestly and articulately about neurodiversity. I think one of my favourite quotes was, advocacy and allyship are journeys with no end date. That's definitely something we can apply to allyship across the board. I also love the idea of a brag list. This is something everyone can get involved with. Tag us on Twitter, Instagram or LinkedIn using hashtag mybraglist and let us know what you're proud of. Finally, as 2022 gets well underway, we just wanted to say a big thank you to all our listeners here at the Law Careers Net podcast. Rest assured, we're planning lots more interesting and informative content all about the law and legal careers over the coming months. So make sure you subscribe to listen first.